Well, amen. You may be seated. And let me invite you this morning to take your copy of God's Word and find there in the Old Testament the book of Psalms. In fact, maybe toward the middle of your Bible, Psalm number 92. For the last several years, I try to get alone with God a few weeks, maybe a couple of months before the new year, and I ask the Lord to give me a word, a word for our church, a word for me, a word for you, a word for the year. And back just a couple of months ago, as I was just spending some time in God's word and, and praying for Cottage Hill, praying for our mission and our mandate and the vision of our church, and I really believe that God gave me a word, a word for 2023, a word for Cottage Hill, a word for Allen, and a word for you. And that word is flourish. I truly believe that what God has for our church in this new year is to thrive, not just to survive, not just to experience just the, the crumbs from the table, but to experience the the manifold blessings of God. I believe that for our church. I believe that for my own life. I believe that for my marriage. I believe that for my family. And I believe that I'm trusting that for you. Flourish. Over the next several weeks, I want to I want you and I to go on a bit of a journey together. I want us to dive into the scriptures there in the Old Testament and New Testament. And I want to show you how in scripture, by walking with God, walking in the spirit, you can flourish in every facet of your life. Over the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about how to thrive in our, our families, our marriages, how to thrive at your work, vocationally, financially, uh, mentally, physically, every facet of life. In fact, I begin writing some devotions. In fact, if you go to our social media, whether it's Facebook or our uh, Instagram, you can go to our website, and each day we're gonna uh, post a, a fresh devotion. I'm calling it 40 Days to Flourish, cottagehill.org slash 40 Days to Flourish. And each day, a devotion beginning today. So before you lay your head down to sleep tonight, just go to our website, go to social media and walk through that devotion as we're reading and meditating upon the same scriptures, praying some of the same prayers that we experience, that we thrive, that we flourish in 2023. I believe that God gave me a particular passage of scripture. It'll not only be our key passage in this teaching series, but it's our key scripture for the year for Cottage Hill. Psalm 92, if you're new here to Cottage Hill, we stand for the initial reading of God's Word. If you would stand with me as I read aloud Psalm 92. You can follow along there in your Bibles. The Scripture is on the screen. But Psalm 92 in verse number 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. I was reading several commentaries and they were talking about those cedars in Lebanon in the, in the first century and, and even for the last several thousands of years before the coming of Christ. And those cedars would grow up to 120 feet high and massive in diameter, just thriving. And the Bible says that about you and me in verse 13, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They 
flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated as we begin this new year. Take out a pencil, take out a pen, piece of paper, something you can write with. Maybe take notes on your phone, your iPad. I want you and I to see today that you were created to flourish. You and I created to flourish. One of the things that I love, if you don't know much about me, I love sports. I love athletics. I spend most of yesterday and afternoon and evening watching those bowl games, and I just love sports. I'm just intrigued by it. But more than that, I love when I see an athlete so gifted, so disciplined, so trained, so almost appear to be created to be an athlete, to excel in that particular sport. Let me give you an example, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is not only an incredible Olympian, but he actually has the Olympic record of the Olympics. He's won the most medals ever, 28 medals, 23 gold medals as a swimmer. It's incredible. But when you look at the, the physicality of Michael Phelps, it, it's, it's phenomenal. Michael Phelps, as he was swimming, was six foot four, 194 pounds. When you look at his wingspan, most of us, our wingspan is the same as our height. Michael Phelps, six foot four, had a six foot seven wingspan. Scientists, uh, uh, experts say that it's as if Michael Phelps was made to be a swimmer this incredibly long torso, size 14 feet, and his ankles could hyperextend to make him even a better swimmer. This incredibly long torso, but only a 30-inch inseam. Experts said Michael Phelps made to swim, and swimming is what he did. It's an incredible thing to see people fulfill the purpose for which they're, they're made. And what I want you to see today is that God made you. God made me to flourish. And not only created us to flourish, but in fact, redeemed us to flourish. Now, I know when you and I look around today and we see the world today, the culture today, the devastation the discouragement, the defeat, the brokenness that's all around us. It seems that, that that's not the case, but, but I need you to understand where we began. See, the way you and I look today, it's like we're looking at a reflection in a broken mirror. And what we see is a distorted image. We see ourselves, but it's, it's broken. It's, 
It's fragmented in what people do today a thousand different ways, especially in reading self-help books and self-help blogs and articles is that, you know, in your own power, in your own strength, you can fix the broken pieces. And people spend so much of their time trying to fix the brokenness that is about them. Many just give up and accept the brokenness. But what I want to show you this morning from the Word of God is the truth that most people alive today, most Christians today are ignorant of. The truth that you are created and redeemed to thrive, to flourish. But in order for you and I to get on the proper road to move forward, to flourish, we need to look back. We need to look back at what happened, what was broken. So the first thing that I want you to write down this morning I want you to write down this phrase, created to flourish, created to flourish. And then take your Bible and turn back to the book of Genesis in chapter two, Genesis chapter two in verse number seven, Genesis chapter two, verse number seven. And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What I want you to understand is that when God created humanity, he created humanity different than the rest of creation. The Bible says that God, with his own hands, from the dust of the ground with his own hands formed and fashioned man and breathed life into him. You and I are created in the image of God for a purpose, for a reason, outside of the rest of creation, even the angels. Turn back a page to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one beginning in verse number 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In fact, you may want to write in the margin of your Bible there, image bearer. One of the major purposes, in fact, the primary purpose of our existence is to be an image bearer. Back to Genesis chapter one. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. When God created Adam, Eve, when God created mankind, he created us in his image with a purpose. In fact, the Bible, I believe, teaches clearly a fourfold purpose for you, for me, for mankind. First of all, write down identity. Identity. 
We are to reflect God's image. We bear God's image. We are to bear God's image to the rest of creation. That's what it says about Adam, about Eve. They are to reflect God's image to the rest of creation. God had his angels, but he desired more. He wanted more, so he created man. He created woman, and he created us in his image. God is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You and I are triune beings, body, soul, spirit. And we are to reflect to the rest of creation his image. We are to represent God's wisdom, God's plan, God's authority. Write that word identity. One of the, in fact, the primary purpose of mankind. Number two, write the word dominion. Dominion. Adam, Eve were to exercise divine authority, heavenly authority. Look back at verse number 26 of chapter number one. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, livestock, over all things upon the earth. When God created man, man was given this heavenly authority for dominion, for authority. It goes on to say in verse number 28, and not only uses the word dominion, but it uses the word subdue. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion. Adam, watch this, Adam and Eve were to expand the boundaries, expand the borders of the garden, that ultimately Adam and Eve would have children and their children would have children and their children would have children, that all of them, for all of generation, would know God, experience God and love God, but they would rule and reign. Adam was to establish government and control over all creation, dominion, authority. Write this next, family, family. We see that they're to be fruitful and multiply. You see, family has always been at the center of God's plan for everything. The need for connection, for intimacy, for companionship. What did he say after he created man? It's not good for man to be alone. It's always about family. It's always about relationships. It's always interacting. Isn't it interesting that the very first institution that God brought into being was family? Family. And then number four, write the word destiny. Destiny. There's a divine partnership. There are those who refer to God as the absent creator, that God created the heavens and the earth. He created every living thing. He put it all into motion, and then God just simply stepped back to let it work. That God was like the divine watchmaker. He created the watch, he wound it up, and then he just let it run. But that is not 
what the Bible teaches. That our creator is involved in every aspect of his creation and every aspect of your life and my life. The Bible says that, that, what, that God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. The plan for God is that God with Adam and Eve, they would enlarge the garden. They would continue to have children upon children and their children would have children and they would all in relationship with God rule and reign and govern. It was God's plan all along, not only for man to be in control and have authority, but in relationships and growing and fruitfulness in partnership with God. But then something happened. Genesis chapter two, beautiful, incredible, perfect. The plan, the will of God. But Genesis chapter three, Lucifer shows up on the scene. The serpent, Satan, the one who was cast out of heaven, the fallen angel, he lures, he deceives Eve and ultimately Adam. The Bible says in Genesis chapter three, beginning in verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let's pause there for a moment. Lucifer, cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. Why? Because of pride. Because of his own pride. He takes that pride and he deceives. He lures Eve and Adam. The Bible says the first thing that as he comes alongside Eve and Adam is there, did God really say? One of the things that Satan uses even today in your life and in my life is this tool of pride. But he causes us to question the word of God. Did God really say that if you ate of the tree, you would surely die? The first thing that he wants you to do, even in this new year, is to doubt his word. Did God really say, verse number two, the next verse, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, we shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God didn't say you can't touch it, just don't eat it. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be what? Like God. Remember I told you the very first function, very first purpose of God's creation is identity, that we are image bearers, that we are to reflect to the rest of creation who we are. And what is Lucifer? Oh, you shall be like God. Let, let's, let's doubt and question your true identity. You see, God's holding out on you. He's holding back. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to have his best. And so the Bible goes on to, to say there in the very next verse, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and 
evil. And so we see the, the fall. As a result of the fall, everything is broken. And everything is lost. Because of the fall, we read about, later in that chapter, we read about the curse. We read about the curse. We read about the introduction of death and division and disease. We read beginning in verse number 17 of Genesis 3. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it brings forth for you. You shall eat the the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so there's a curse But what made it worse, they were ultimately cast out of the garden. The Bible tells us, beginning in verse number 22 of Genesis 3, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You're not only cursed, no longer to flourish, once in freedom, but now a slave, you're no longer in the garden. Banished. Everything he had. Everything he had to thrive, to flourish, was lost. I want you to take your pencil, I want you to take your pen, and I want you to to write down this phrase, redeemed to flourish. You see, the word gospel means good news. So I don't want to leave you this morning with the bad news. What, What we once had but was lost. But what I want to give you this morning is the good news, the good news of the gospel and that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem and restore that which was lost in the garden. In fact, I want you to write down somewhere in your notes, I want you to write down those two words, redeem and restore. Because Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to redeem and restore for you what was lost in the garden. Jesus, as he preached, as he ministered, as he taught, he, he taught the gospel, he taught the kingdom. But probably, I believe, the greatest sermon that he preached about redemption and restoration about what can be had again is in the story of the lost son. We know it as the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Here's what Jesus does. Stay with me. Jesus is giving us a look at the father's heart 
the intent of the Father to restore and redeem what was taken. And he tells the story because he knows the Father's heart. He knows the kingdom. He knows the gospel. He's the bringer of the good news. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And he says, it's like this. Let me tell you what was lost. There was a son. In his rebellion, he took and he lost it. And he lost everything. He lost everything to where ultimately he wound up in a pig mire. He had nothing. He was in rags. He had no shoes. He had nothing. And he came to his senses. Even the servants, even the worst in my father's house have more than I have. Maybe if I go back, maybe if I get on my knees, maybe if I plead, he'll let me be a servant. And that would be better than I am now. Jesus goes on to tell the story, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 20. Look at the screen, incredible. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You see, Jesus says, let me tell you what the father is like. The father every day would go out and he's looking for his son. He wants to redeem his son. He wants to restore him and every day he goes out. And on that one day, he's out looking and he sees at a distance, he sees someone walking and because he knows his son, he recognizes his walk and he doesn't wait, but he does something very uncustomary. In in first century Middle Eastern time, this this father girds up his his garment and and he runs and he runs out to his son. His son doesn't even have a chance to give his forgiveness speech and he And the Bible says, what does he do? He goes back to that passage. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Literally in the Greek, he covered him with kisses. In the next verse, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's in the process of the speech, but the father interrupts him and he says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this, my son, who was dead, is alive again, who was lost, is found. And they began to celebrate. Very quickly, we're out of time. Take your pistol, take your pen. This is going to be worth the price of admission. What am I about to tell you? Don't miss this. Don't miss it. He says to the son, put on him a fresh robe. Put on him a new ring. Some clean sandals. These items represent everything that was lost in the garden. Put on him a a fresh robe. No longer in rags of sin and selfishness. The Bible says that your best, your best is but filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But listen, Jesus came, he suffered, he bled, he died, so that you, by faith, by trusting in him, accepting by faith what he did for you 2,000 years ago, you can be clothed in the robe of his righteousness. 
The Bible says this in Isaiah. Write this down. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of what? Say it. Righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Second Corinthians, the Bible says this in chapter five, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. No longer to live in our sin, our rebellion, but in Christ clothed in his righteousness. Put a robe on him. Take off those rags, son. Put on this robe of who you really are as my son, as my child. Put a ring on him. The ring was a symbol, watch this, of dominion, of authority. It's like having today a power of attorney. You could delegate wealth, incredible power. The power that was lost has now been given. You now have, again, as my son, my name, my authority, my power, my dominion. See, Adam lost it. Who, who, who gained it? The devil himself? Satan. You remember when Satan was tempting Jesus? If you'll bow down and worship me, all of this that I have, I'll give to you. But upon that first Easter morning, resurrection morning, that same authority, that same dominion now is in the hands and the power of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18, he gathers those believers, those followers after the resurrection, and he says to them what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so therefore you go. I'm empowering you. I'm giving you authority. Watch this. You and I have the signet ring. Redeemed to have authority. Even, watch this, even over the demons. Sandals. There's the robe, the ring. How about the sandals? You see, the poor, the poor couldn't afford sandals. But old rugged, dusty Middle Eastern terrain. The sandals are a symbol of a fresh start, a new beginning. Here's what they are. A symbol of grace. Grace. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The robe, the ring, the sandals, that which was lost. But now listen, <laughs> don't miss this. This is the best yet. What does the father say? Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. Son, watch this. Son, you're not gonna live with the slaves. You're not gonna live with the servants. You're not gonna eat with them. Come on back inside the house. Come on back home. That's where the party is. Let me tell you what the devil does. The devil wants you to think that which you're missing, 
that which you want is found out there in the wilderness. But in Christ, you and I are invited back into the garden, back into the Father's house. As a matter of fact, under the authority of Jesus Christ, we can actually eat of the tree of life and live forever. Watch this. Stop wasting your time in the wilderness. The real party is in the Father's house. Amen. Everything lost is redeemed and restored. And in this life and in this year, you can flourish, you can thrive because you have been redeemed and restored to flourish. And we're going to see together in God's word the truth. Would you pray with me? Your head is bowed, your eyes are closed. Our worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of praise, a time of worship. In fact, I'm going to invite two or three of our pastors to come stand here at the front. There are some of you that have some areas in your life that are broken. And maybe you would like a pastor to pray with you and for you about one of these areas. You may want to have one of these pastors pray with you that in this new year that maybe a relationship would be restored. Maybe for you, maybe it's, maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's mental. Maybe discouragement, depression, loneliness. Maybe it's physical in nature. But listen, these men are men of prayer and they would love to pray with you and pray for you. That in this new year, you would thrive. The altar is open for you to come and just kneel and pray. You don't have to pray with the pastor. They're just available. But the altar is open for you to begin this new year saying, God, in this area of my life, Lord, I want under the authority of Jesus Christ, I want, I want to take back what was lost, what was deceived from me. It may be that you need to begin a new walk. You need some new sandals today, a fresh start, a new beginning. You need to experience the grace of God in a new year, a new beginning. So I'm gonna pray for us. In fact, if you would just go ahead and stand with me across this room, every man, every woman, we're standing together, young person. I'm gonna lead us in prayer. As I'm praying, you can come. As I'm praying, these pastors are here. The altar is open. But in these next moments, we're gonna pray. We're gonna praise. We're gonna intercede on behalf of others. But we're entering into his presence. And we're no longer gonna live in the wilderness. We're no longer gonna act like that's where we belong. But we have been created and redeemed and restored to live in the garden, to exercise authority, to bear fruit in our lives, to exercise authority even over the demons. 
And we're no longer going to be deceived by the enemy. We're no longer going to believe the lies about our identity or who we are. But I was created and I was redeemed and I was restored to live as a child of God. And I'm going to begin living as a daughter of the king. I'm going to begin living as a son of the most high. And so, Lord, we pray that in these next moments, as you hear our voices, as you hear our cries, we come before you. We kneel before you. Lord, give us what's been taken. Lord, by faith today, we stand in the position to be restored. Lord, for these today who need a a new robe, for these today who need a new ring, for these today who need a new pair of sandals. Lord, for these who have been eating from the crumbs of this world would now begin eating and feasting at the Father's table. We claim that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.